Good morning. This is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. Good morning, people. It's 8.31 a.m. April the 10th, 2019. And this is Bitcoin and episode 83. <clears throat> and we're just going to jump right into it. I got to I hurried this puppy dog along. I got to go pick up my wife at 10. So I got to have this done, edited, and uploaded before I go get her. We'll see if that happens. Okay, so uh, first up, Facebook wants external funding for its cryptocurrency. Why? (laughs) This just gets worse and worse and worse. Uh, So CryptoNews.com has this article by Tim Alper. This was as of yesterday. And a writer for the New York Times says Facebook may be seeking $1 billion USD in external funding for its forthcoming cryptocurrency and claims the social media giant could seek to peg the value of its token to a basket of foreign currencies. (laughs) Nathaniel Popper, who regularly writes for the newspaper on cryptocurrency-related matters, made the claims in a series of tweets. One such tweet says, update on Facebook's cryptocurrency. Sources tell me that Facebook is now looking to get VC firms to invest in the Facebook cryptocurrency project we reported on earlier this year. I hear they are targeting big sums as much as a billion. Facebook was not available for immediate comment. Popper claimed... He had spoken to sources about the matter, although he did not specify whether or not the individuals he talked to were Facebook staff. He added, quote, one person I spoke with said that Facebook is talking about using the money as collateral for its cryptocurrency. Facebook has been designing the coin to keep a stable value pegged to a basket of foreign currencies held in bank accounts. Popper also addressed the most logical question in all of this. Why would Facebook, one of the richest companies in the world, seek outside funding for a token launch. That's my question. He tweeted, one of the big allures of blockchain projects is the decentralization. Getting outside investors could help Facebook present the project as a more decentralized and less controlled by Facebook. Popper wrote in February about Facebook's cryptocurrency project, claiming the company has already entered into dialogue with exchanges about possible listing opportunities. Man, you're just going to get crushed, bro. You just, I, I think there's people out there that know how to do this. They've been doing it for a long time, and a lot of them are not all that happy with Facebook. So I'd watch it if I were y'all. His latest claims have sparked a flurry of questions and speculation among the international crypto community. Um, social media platforms appear to have aggressively targeted cryptocurrency projects this year. Facebook's Russian-language counterpart, Vkontakte also known as VK, appears to be pushing ahead with a cryptocurrency project of its own, Telegram's Gram token, 
and its new Ton blockchain platform, meanwhile, are both forthcoming. They've been forthcoming forever. I mean, whatever. Okay, just going to pop a blood vessel here. <clears throat> and raise significant amounts of money via two rounds of private external funding. In Japan, e-commerce giant Rakuten is hoping to launch a token via its Viber chat app, while East Asian internet companies Navar and Kakao are also said to be keen on possible token launches. Facebook has been significantly expanding its blockchain operations in recent months, although the company has remained tight-lipped about the precise details of its plans. You can read more about the possible implications of the Facebook coin here, and that's going to do it for that. But, yeah, I mean, that's, again, my question is, you know, why? You know, why external funding? And I'm not sure if, if the reasoning behind... Well, if somebody else funded it, uh, we won't be in in such control of it. That kind of, you know, to give it that decentralized decentralized flavor, also doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Not not in the way that that Facebook's past has has gone, the things that they've done, uh, yeah, shit they've pulled. I it just, I mean, it's like talk about token. It, this is just a, a, a token to decentralization. And it just, I don't know, man, I don't buy it. I just don't, I can't. Um, Lightning Network announcements. Yay, Lightning Network. Kyle Torpy out of Bitcoin Magazine has an article, Breeze wants to make the Lightning Network more user-friendly, April the 8th, 2019. New announcements around Bitcoin's Lightning Network have been coming almost nonstop lately with new exchanges, wallets, and other services popping up seemingly every day. Two weeks ago, ZebPay announced its Lightning integration. Last week, Lightning Power users officially launched and BitRefill released an improvement to its Thor service. Just this morning... SparkSwap announced the public beta of its Lightning-powered exchange platform. Now, there's a brand new wallet coming to the market with a focus on ease of use. Today, Breeze has announced that its mobile Lightning wallet is available in open beta. Keep that in mind, people. Still beta. Perhaps the most unique attribute of Breeze is that it doesn't include an on-chain Bitcoin wallet. In other words, it's all Lightning. Lightning only, Breeze CEO Roy Scheinfeld confirmed in an interview with Bitcoin Magazine. This is one of the elements that simplifies the user experience. Scheinfeld pointed out to the fact that no Bitcoin wallet management is necessary and users have a single balance rather than both an on-chain and a Lightning balance as examples of this simplification. Although on-chain funds cannot be stored in Breeze, the app includes the ability to move funds from traditional on-chain Bitcoin wallets to the Lightning-based Breeze via submarine swaps, which were popularized by Lightning Labs infrastructure lead Alex Bosworth. Breeze allows its users to add or remove funds via on-chain transactions, said Scheinfeld. We use submarine swaps to provide a simple user interface without requiring our users to manage another Bitcoin wallet inside Breeze. Scheinfeld also explained how the complexities involved with opening and closing lightning channels are hidden from users. Opening a channel is seamless to the user, he said. When a user installs Breeze, we automatically open a channel funded by our hub. We provide an I-N-C-L-I-like interface for advanced users for extended channel management. Breeze users don't need to worry about running a full node if they trust Breeze. 
as each user automatically runs a Neutrino node, which uses Simplified Payment Verification, or SPV, on the mobile devices. Although it has the same name, the Neutrino node is unrelated to the controversial blockchain analytics company that was recently acquired by Coinbase. Wow, imagine, be, imagine being a company with a name so synonymous with terrorism. <laughs> That anybody else or any other technology that that happened to uh, accidentally use the same name has to make a disclaimer that they are not related in any way, shape, or form to digital terrorists. <laughs> oh, my God. By default, users can only open channels with a Lightning Hub operated by Breeze. Quote, Lightning transactions are executed when both users... You, uh, blah, blah, blah. Lightning transactions are executed when both user nodes are online, explains Scheinfeld. And since payments are routed via the Breeze Hub, which is always online, there is no chance of misconduct between Breeze users. Advanced users can open channels against other nodes, but since third-party watchtower services are not yet available, we do not recommend it. Of course, this may mean that users must trust Breeze not to cheat. It is not a secure best practice to receive Lightning transactions without checking in on the blockchain from time to time because the user on the other end of the Lightning channel could broadcast a lie about the state of the two parties' Lightning channel balances. By periodically checking on the blockchain for transactions related to the Lightning channel, a user can detect attempts to lie and then broadcast a different transaction to prove that the other person tried to withdraw Bitcoin from the channel that wasn't theirs to take. The user who tried to cheat then loses their share of the Lightning Channel's total balance as punishment. So the drawback with Breeze is that users are unable to securely receive Bitcoin on the Lightning Network without checking in with the blockchain every now and then unless the user is willing to simply trust Breeze not to cheat. Breeze Hub can close the channel when the user is offline and publish an old state of the blockchain, explains Scheinfeld. When asked about the level of trust users must put into Breeze. However, since the user runs a light node, the Breeze hub can be penalized trying to do so. The risk is when the user is offline for days. Once third-party watchtowers are available, they can help mitigate it and completely reduce this trust. It should also be noted that while Neutrino is a massive improvement over old SPV models in terms of privacy, some data is still leaked to the full nodes that serve data to the like clients. Neutrino clients still leak some information about a user's wallet since an adversary can potentially observe which blocks the client is downloading and find addresses that are reused across those downloaded blocks, according to a Lightning Labs blog post on Neutrino. To mitigate this, we're exploring the use of private information retrieval for blocks as mentioned above. Nonetheless, we believe Neutrino is still far better for user privacy than other mobile options. However, these issues around privacy and trust are not specific to Breeze and really stem from the Lightning Network being in the early stages of development. Acting as a Lightning Hub for users, the Breeze Hub is a key aspect of this Lightning Wallet's attempt at creating a user interface that is simple to use and easy to understand, and they'll need to stake enough Bitcoin in their hub to allow their users to transact on the network. Users' channels are private, said Scheinfeld. Currently, we for each user, we open a channel with 1 million Satoshi capacity. We have hundreds of users in the closed beta and anticipate a few thousand soon after opening the beta. We try to minimize opening public channels to other hubs and only maintain channels with well-connected hubs. 
We currently have 1.5 Bitcoin in our public channels, which we rebalance frequently. In these early days, it will be extremely important to, for Breeze to properly manage its hub's position in the Greater Lightning Network. If the Breeze hub is not well connected, its user payments will fail and they won't have the option to open a channel with other Lightning nodes or fall back to the blockchain to make the transaction. Of course, users can always use a submarine swap to move their funds to another Bitcoin wallet if they're unable to make a payment with Breeze. According to Scheinfeld, this sort of model where Bitcoin wallets provide their users with a Lightning Hub is one way in which the Lightning Network itself is likely to increase its user base, at least in the first phase. Quote, I think the next step will be to decouple the wallets from the hubs. We at Breeze are already working to provide the ability for our users to choose other hubs, similar to the Internet ISP model. A mobile wallet still needs to provide services that are not related to operating a hub such as mobile notifications or on-chain updates, submarine swaps, and others. In the past, there have been concerns that Lightning Hubs or even smaller Lightning Nodes could be targeted with regulations due to the view that they're acting as money transmitters. When asked about this matter, Scheinfeld agreed there is a reason to be worried about this. Quote, I'm concerned regulators won't understand our technology, said Scheinfeld. As a non-custodial service, we are not managing funds on behalf of our users. Our hub acts as a routing node. In that regard, it's no different than an ISP or an internet provider. Additional features, Breeze also has features outside of its Lightning functionality. The wallet supports fastbitcoins.com for users who wish to add Bitcoin to the app via a cash-based exchange while a credit card-based model through a partnership with a currently unnamed third party is also in the works. I wonder if that's Cash App. That would be awesome. We really want to encourage users to spend Bitcoin instead of converting them back to fiat. That's why we are currently investing our efforts into expanding our marketplace, said Scheinfeld. The marketplace Scheinfeld mentioned currently only includes BitRefill, but Breeze plans to add LN.Pizza integration in the near future. Hell yeah, love LN Pizza. Even if they are pineapple maximalists. All right, <clears throat> quote, we're always looking for serious lightning merchants to work with us to provide a great lightning fast shopping experience, added Scheinfeld. There aren't that many at the moment. Breeze plans also plans to partner with other another third party to handle fiat off-ramps for merchants. We started exploring with several vendors the ability to provide Bitcoin to fiat conversion. This is a must-have for merchants. There is also a Breeze card that allows users to make purchases at traditional payment terminals via near-field communication. Quote, Breeze supports NFC, both using a device or via a Breeze card, explained Scheinfeld. There are cases like in a restaurant when you don't want or can't hand out your phone to make a payment. In this scenario, it is much easier to use a card. You can give the card to someone else, like your kid, to buy something. And since you need to approve the purchase in your device, you have full control on how the card is being used. The point behind the card is to demonstrate the Bitcoin payments can be on par with fiat when it comes to user experience. Although Breeze isn't completely trustless or private, the app provides a glimpse into how much more user-friendly Lightning wallets could be once additional tools such as watchtowers and even more privacy-enhanced versions of Neutrino are av available. So that's going to do it for Kyle's article. Uh, man, I really like Kyle Torpy. The way he, he writes so well, and it's just... His stuff is just so well researched, man. I just it's it's just a pleasure to read some of this stuff. So 
my take on this is just as we expect further abstraction of the complications of everything that underlies this technology and the technology itself is how adoption happens. If it's this technology or some other technology, I running an automobile, you know, like 15 years after, I don't know, I don't want to say it's invention, but when it started hitting the streets where maybe 1% of the vehicles on the road uh, did not poop in the street, those were really difficult machines to operate. I mean, they were horrendously difficult to operate. Everything's like that. Airplanes, the telephone system. Although I, I will give this to the telephone system when it first came out. Uh, it was pretty much abstracted on the back end by the use of uh, actual people routing the, the phone calls so that you didn't, you just would pick up the receiver. The first thing that you, you know, would do is like click a couple of times that would give a signal to the switchboard. Somebody at the switchboard would plug in basically to the line coming from your house. You talk to that person and say, I'm trying to get a hold of and give them the telephone number. And on their switchboard, the switchboard operator would be able to route you directly to that particular number. So the abstraction was done fairly quickly, but the machinery that it took to do that and, and it, what it still takes to route a phone call is ridiculously complex. And now think about it this way. I got a, I got a cell phone. I could be at my house and talking on the phone to somebody, then get in my car, talking to that same person. And let's say they're in like, I don't know, some other state in the United States. I get in my car and I start driving down to Lubbock. I'm going to pass through several cell towers and seamlessly that phone call and almost seamlessly. Yeah. There's been a couple of times where the, where the call drops because of it, but it is not often. And it is almost imperceptible when I go from one cell tower uh, coverage area to another cell phone tower coverage area. And it's, I don't even notice that type of abstraction is, is what we're, is what everybody, all designers are always looking for. They always have been looking for it because the only way to get something that's really complex into the hands of a whole shit ton of people that are not really all that high on the learning curve because they got, I don't know, other shit to do. This is, this is the way you abstract stuff. More and more and more of this is going to come along. And as more and more of this comes along, you're going to see more and more adoption and the less and less and less of people who try to tell us how this technology will never scale, which somebody has done that. And, and they are part of the daily train wreck, which we'll get to later on, on up in the uh, stack. We've got the block crypto.com spark swap raises 3.5 million to build an exchange on the Bitcoin lightning network. So, um, This is, I'm sorry, this is from Stephen Zhang. It seems like every other week we hear reports of a major cryptocurrency exchange hack and the millions of dollars stolen from traders. Trey Griffith, founder of SparkSwap, has raised $3.5 million US from investors, including 
initialized capital, Pantera capital, and foundation capital to change that. The idea, a non-custodial exchange built by leveraging the scaling features and speed of the Bitcoin Lightning Network and atomic swaps. <coughs> my, 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 even more abstraction. Griffith founded in uh, Griffith founded in SparkSwap. Oh, yeah, sorry, a typo there. Griffith founded SparkSwap in late 2017, leaving his job at a wealth management software firm. He was motivated to start SparkSwap after seeing the first Lightning Network supported cross-chain swap between Bitcoin and Lightning and hearing complaints from cryptocurrency traders. Quote, they're just frustrated by the fact that it takes weeks to pull their money out. By building SparkSwap on Lightning Network atomic swaps, we can get performance and currencies needed to build liquid markets without giving up control of the assets. With SparkSwap, which is in beta, testing on the Bitcoin mainnet, traders could make trades at speeds comparable to centralized exchanges like Coinbase and Gemini. SparkSwap has built out an easy-to-integrate API nice, and command-line interface for traders with technical expertise to incorporate its technology into their backend. Eventually, Griffith notes, SparkSwap will build a platform that can support less sophisticated use. Again, there's that abstraction. We're all searching for it. The firm's initial target clientele are semi-professional to professional traders who want to develop their own custom trading software. Quote, we think the professional traders are the ones that bring in liquidity, Griffith adds. The process to use SparkSwap is as follows. One, a market maker first downloads and runs SparkSwap's software. The maker then, or two, the maker then deposits Litecoin or Bitcoin into their respective wallets and connects to an order book system managed by SparkSwap. Three, the maker broadcasts their order to SparkSwap. Four, SparkSwap connects the maker's order to a market taker who wants to fill that order. Five, both traders execute their trades using atomic swaps. God, that's fascinating. All right. While SparkSwap initially only supports Bitcoin, Litecoin trading pairs, Griffith notes that his team is researching ways to enable trading for assets beyond Litecoin, including Zcash and Ether. We can support any payment channel network that looks like the Lightning Network, Griffith tells the block. As to why SparkSwap is building a non-custodial exchange on Bitcoin instead of platforms like Ethereum, Griffith notes that it is fundamentally about being able to support highly liquid trading pairs and that Bitcoin is most liquid cryptocurrency on the market. To be sure, SparkSwap is not the only startup building exchanges on the Lightning Network. Just last week, Bolts announced the alpha release of its instant account-free and non-custodial digit asset exchange built on top of the Lightning Network, and that'll do it for that. And I had covered Bolts on Monday or last week. Yeah, I guess it was uh, the Friday show. And then we talked about it more on Adam Meister's uh, This Week in Bitcoin. And that was, again, uh, that was a, a that was really fun to be on, on Adam Meister's show. <laughs> it was really cool. But yeah, more, more abstraction. Getting, you know, figuring out ways to dig holes and bury the complicated crap in the ground so that the user, uh, the front end user just doesn't see it. And over time, we'll see less and less of that due to the nature of design and the use of abstracting ideas and complicated materials away from said user so that said user doesn't end up crying in a puddle of his own tears in a fetal position on the floor and having his wife 
ask questions as to why he's melted like a puddle. China! Bitcoinmagazine.com has China's proposed mining ban could be detrimental to Bitmain. This was from April 9th yesterday, and this is another article from Jimmy Aki, which I really like. Jimmy is another really high-quality writer, and I'm really enjoying his stuff here. Oh, let's see. So where to begin? There it is. China's state planning agency, the National Development and Reform Commission, has indicated an interest in banning cryptocurrency mining in the country through a notice published online in Mandarin. The report stated that the NDRC will include cryptocurrency mining activities to a list of sectors that could be shut down based on their violation of local regulations, wastefulness, city con- safety concerns, or harmful contributions to the environment. Yeah, like China's got any business saying anything about that. The list includes more than 400 other industrial activities. The list is part of the NDRC's catalog for guiding industry restructuring. The catalog was issued in 2005, pointing out the activities and industries which are allowed to grow in the country or those that ought to be restricted or banned outright. Beware any language that uses or includes the word ought. That is a loaded word, more loaded than you could possibly imagine. Moving on, Reuters reported that the draft list has been open for public perusal since April 8th, 2019, although the NDRC has not yet set a date for the elimination of crypto mining activities from the state. Yeah, that's because they probably aren't. The draft list shows a distinct representation of the Chinese state's view on certain industrial policies and activities, and an announcement on the NDRC's official site claims that members of the general public now have until May 7th to provide their comments on the draft. China was once seen as a crypto haven thanks to the country's abundance of mining hardware and cheap energy. But developments like this make it seem as if the country has grown cold toward industry. I'll bet you that's exactly just what they want to make you think. Despite a blanket ban on ICOs in 2017, China has maintained dominance in the crypto mining sector with some of the world's biggest mining companies operating from China, most notably Bitmain. The recent notice by the NDRC has been a long time coming. Last uh, Late last year, the Xinhua News Agency reported that a study showed the impact of carbon dioxide emissions on global warming and their potential increased temperatures by 2 degrees C as soon as 2033. A separate report also claimed that authorities had seized hundreds of mining computers after discovering they were responsible for the abnormal electricity consumption and a potential threat to the proper functioning of local power grids. In addition, the leading group of Internet Financial Risk Remediation, Financial Risks Remediation, oh my God. (laughs) I'm sorry, I have to laugh. So uh, the the leading group of Internet Financial Risks Remediation called on local governments to direct mining companies to make an orderly exit from the market. The Chinese government has been making massive moves to stem the growth of crypto-based firms in the country for a while. The People's Bank of China made the historic decision to place a ban on all ICOs back in 2017, and since then, crypto companies have had to walk on regulatory eggshells. In January 2018, a report on Bloomberg revealed that the Chinese central bank seemed to plan a reduction of the power supplied 
to Bitcoin miners in a move aimed at forcing them out of the country. The Beijing-based Bitmain remains one of the largest manufacturers of crypto mining hardware in the world. However, the company has had to endure a torrid two years after its profits and viability were hit hard by the effects of crypto winter. Yeah, there's a little more to that story. If this reported ban is enacted, it would mean that Bitmain could lose its business in China, one of its largest markets. This may prompt the company to relocate its business, something that could be difficult given its recent office closures in North America and Europe. Okay, so that's going to do it for Mr. Aki's uh, article here. It's really informative. Uh, Okay. Uh, Bitmain being in its position because it got hit by the crypto winner. That's that, that is not the whole story. Bitmain made horrendous decisions about Bcash selling their Bitcoin. And now they're sitting on a pile of garbage Their I, I mean, their, their balance sheets was so pathetic, so pathetic that, uh, well, yeah, they're, they're, nobody was going to do, you know, help or nobody was going to do, take their IPO. There's, you know, we got, uh, I think BTC King 555 is saying that they're sitting, that their cash reserves are almost at an end where the evaporation of said cash reserves for operating, for operating expenditures has just been, you know, flying off like boiling water. So, it's it's not just the crypto winner. The crypto winner may very well have put a spike in that thing in the heart of Bitmain, but their horrendous business decisions have been at the forefront of why Bitmain finds itself where it finds itself. There's a whole ton of companies that are also in that same crypto winner. And I'll, I mean, yeah, a lot of them are flailing, man, but there's a lot of them that seems to me there is a whole bunch of companies that are doing just fine as evidenced by the fact that they are just keep building stuff. And if, if the companies that these people work for that are building said stuff are like, were really, really, really close to the edge of, of death. I don't think you'd see the amount of stuff coming out. So yeah, that's, that's Bitmain's problem. It's not crypto winter problem. This is Bitmain's problem. They did this shit to themselves. I'm sorry. But the other thing that I want to say about this is, is this sentence. In January 2018, a report on Bloomberg revealed that the Chinese central bank seemed to plan a reduction of the power supplied to Bitcoin miners. Now, let that thing roll around in your head. A bank controls the utility companies. Okay, either, you know, and I don't know how exactly that works in China. It is either that the banks have direct control of the utilities, which I don't think that's actually occurring. But if that sentence from Bloomberg, if I mean, if that sentence was was written in good faith, then that means that Chinese central bankers, whether they own the utility or not, have full control of what said utility can do. And the minute you start doing shit like that, 
you know, having a bank say who gets water, having a bank say who gets electricity or natural gas or whatever other useful commoditized utility comes across pipelines to get to your house or your business, watch out. And this is one of the reasons why I never, ever thought more than once about moving to China. Oh, God. So, okay, now I'm going to bring up China yet one more time for this little this little bit because China, you know, this is, again, China wants to ban Bitcoin mining report claims. Now, this is from Mashable. Now, I don't normally talk about or use Mashable for the show, but the reason I'm even talking about this is because Mashable decided that the best person that they could go find to talk to them about the China band is Emin Gunseer. And for if you guys don't know him, because he, he's he's like Craig Wright in in his use of the of the block button. There's so many people that are blocked by Emin that hardly anybody actually sees what he's what he's you know tweeting out. But they went to Emin to find his thoughts on this China ban. And I just, I can't imagine. It's almost like demonstrating just how Mashable just doesn't, they don't understand what's going on here. He's probably the worst person in the world to talk about this stuff. It's just, anyway, I just wanted, again, I wanted to bring that up. But uh, let me, we'll, I'll take you through three of the tweets that he provided or that is being used by the Mashable thing. And he's talking about, uh, let's see. His take is that while the ban is significant, it doesn't mean the end of Bitcoin, though it could affect coin production costs. So Emin starts out, it provides massive decentralization, avoids leaders and achieves much higher performance than proof of work protocols. So I'm very bullish on POS systems like Avalanche as a result. And of course, if, as far as I know, he's a board of, he's on the board of directors or, or part of the ad, advisory team for Avalanche. He goes on, of course, China bring, fears bring out the trolls. Let's be clear. China banning POW mining doesn't mean they are banning rig manufacture. It doesn't mean the end of Bitcoin. You'd think that maximalist trolls would have higher confidence and thicker skin. Of course, he he takes this opportunity to, you know, make a stab. It just means that most of the hash power will move across a border. Some will go underground in China, tucked up into bathrooms and old factories. Cost of coin production might go up, but that doesn't affect coin price at all. So he's he's talking out of both sides of his mouth here. He's talking about how it will kill proof of work and yay, yay, proof of stake. And that's that's in the same sentence that he's talking about how it won't destroy Bitcoin, which is a proof of work system and will probably never go proof of stake. I mean, I, I, I I can't ever see that happening because proof of stake is just a bullshit way to get the exact same thing that we've had for years in a digital form. Whoever has the most makes the rules and screw anybody else at all. That's why proof of work exists. So Emmons talking out of both sides of his mouth. Mashable is trying, I guess, trying to report on stuff in cryptocurrency, but they do a incredibly bad job at it for if for no other reason, the fact that Emmons in on this, I mean, my, 
Uh, I just, okay. Sorry. <clears throat> oh, God. Bloody hell. Coindesk.com. Advocate for Mac, Mount Gox creditor quits. Wow. Saying Bitcoin payouts could take years. This is Nicholas Day. Uh, yesterday, April the 9th. Uh, let's see here. The, uh, yeah. Oh, here we go. The head of the largest organized creditor group representing the former users of failed Bitcoin exchange, Mt. Gox, is stepping down amid what he described as a protracted legal quagmire that could take years to resolve completely. <laughs> Andy Pag, the founder and coordinator of Mt. Gox Legal, told Coindesk in an exclusive interview this week that he now believes ongoing legal issues, in particular, a single massive claim by startup incubator and former Mt. Gox partner CoinLab may hold up the crypto exchange's civil rehabilitation process for more than two years. PAG, who started Mt. Gox Legal roughly 18 months ago with the intent to advocate for the reimbursement of creditors, first revealed his opinion on the expected timeline in a private forum post last week obtained by Coindesk, which told creditors he would be stepping down from his role as coordinator at the end of the month. <clears throat> the viewpoint put forth conflicts with more optimistic assessments that creditors may be paid before the end of 2019. <clears throat> Mt. Gox, at one point, largest crypto exchange, went into bankruptcy in 2014, shortly after its operators discovered that some 850,000 bitcoins had been stolen from its wallets. While some of these funds were later recovered, the exchange never did. However, partly due to the massive increase in price between 2014 and 17, Mt. Gox went from a bankruptcy proceeding to a civil rehabilitation process that remains ongoing. That this occurred is significant. Under bankruptcy, the exchange's customers would receive the fiat equivalent of their holdings at the time Mt. Gox entered bankruptcy. Under civil rehabilitation, the customers will actually receive the amount they lost in Bitcoin instead. Uh, when the Tokyo District Court, which is overseeing the case, first announced that Mt. Gox would enter civil rehabilitation last June, claimants expected that they may receive their missing Bitcoin as soon as this year. The claim by CoinLab, however, has since put this timeline in jeopardy. Now it appears to be impacting other efforts by creditors to self-organize to achieve reimbursement. CoinLab, which has been backed by Tim Draper, Barry Silbert, and Roger Ver, entered into a partnership with Mt. Gox in 2012 to essentially act as the exchange's U.S. branch. However, CoinLab sued Mt. Gox in 2013, alleging that the exchange had failed to honor the agreement and asking for $75 million U.S. Mt. Gox then countersued, claiming it was CoinLab who breached the agreement. Neither case was resolved prior to Mt. Gox's bankruptcy filing, though CoinLab did stake a claim against the exchange at the time of filing. Quote, CoinLab originally put in a bankruptcy claim. <clears throat> uh, yeah, sorry. CoinLab originally put in a bankruptcy claim of 75 million U.S., which people thought was excessive. When we went to civil rehabilitation, everyone refiled the same claim, but CoinLab Coin filed 16 billion instead of 75 million. Wow, dude. Pag explained. Edgar Sargent, a U.S.-based attorney for CoinLab, told Coindesk that he could not speak to the amount filed in Japan and was not familiar enough with Japanese law or court proceedings to discuss the matter. 
CoinLab's Japanese attorneys could not be reached for comment. CoinLab found Peter Vicenas did not respond to a request for comment. The first problem stems from the fact that Mt. Gox trustee Nabuaki Kobayashi normally attributes voting rights to creditors based on the size of their stake. This cannot happen with CoinLab until the claim is assessed. Pag explained, quote, because it's pending and it's still debuted, disputed, the trustee can't attribute fair voting rights if it's accepted or zero voting rights if it's rejected until it's resolved. The trustee can't give them voting rights. It looks like it's stalled. <clears throat> and that the rest of it just kind of, you know, moves on. But Pag was on, if I remember this correctly, Pag was one of the guys that was interviewed by uh, Peter McCormack on the What Bitcoin Did podcast as part of his series on Mt. Gox. And listening to that particular interview, again, if I remember correctly, you know, Pag, while frustrated at the time, was pretty hell-bent, pretty hell-bent on getting this completed, uh, getting, getting all this stuff done. So I'm actually really surprised that Pag just threw in the towel a month after he cut that interview. Now that said, I'm not blaming PAG for anything. That's, that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that, you know, you, you, people will just reach their limit. You know, you just can't expect somebody to soldier on when it's just nothing but shit slinging and one problem after another, after another, after another. And coin lab is not helping matters. Um, I, you know, with with that whole thing hanging out there, it's speculative at, at best if any of the people who who held coins on Mount Gox will see any rehabilitation whatsoever before they die. You know, and then, you know, if they're uh, if they air it or they uh, set it as inheritance to their kids, you know, what kind of legal matters would that actually introduce? Could you could you imagine I mean, it'd be like one thing to have disputed shares of, oh, I don't know, like Exxon or what, not Exxon, what am I thinking of? Um, oh, just pick some Dow 30 or, or S&P 500 company, have those shares disputed in court, and then you die and pass that disputed level load of shares onto your heirs, what kind of legal headache that is. And then what kind of legal headache your heirs would have to have? Multiply that by like ten billion, and and <clears throat> all I can say is, wow, man, what what a complete mess, man. That God, that's just it's just such a shame. It really is. It's just such a shame. Just like the fact that bears never die; they never die. They just go underground and they hibernate. This is from newsbtc.com. Bitcoin rally to 5,000 is, quote, nail in the coffin for bears, says prominent investor. <laughs> Careful what kind of, of karma you ask for, brother, because that kind of statement is the exact kind of statement that, that res- results in a face-ripping plunge. So I really don't like... <laughs> I don't like reading shit like this as much as it might or should make me happy. It doesn't, doesn't make me happy at all to see these kinds of things. This is from Nick Chong, April 10th, as much as cynics and those subscribe to sardonic theories, like, like to harangue that Bitcoin has yet to establish a long-term floor. Crypto investors in mass are becoming convinced 
that this market is ready to rally. Travis Kling, a portfolio manager at the illustrious 0.72 asset management turned libertarian leading cryptocurrency pundit, recently added to this statement, posting a tweet that effectively shouted, I'm bullish. The bottom is in. Kling, who currently heads up Akagi or the uh, Akai I K I G A I, I can't pronounce it, was recently asked about his thoughts on the Bitcoin market by renowned technical analyst, the crypto dog. Woof woof. Surprisingly, the Akagi, I, I can't pronounce it, chief investment officer responded with bullish undertones too. The former Wall Street, <clears throat> the former Wall Streeter remarked that, quote, in the seven weeks leading up to April 1st, the chances that BTC would retest the low it established in December at 3150 diminished significantly. During that time, for those who missed the memo, Bitcoin found a local low at around 3500 prior to casually and steadily posting higher lows and higher highs as it neared the essential 4200 resistance. <clears throat> Not only that, but Kling elaborated that the price action experienced in April so far, which capitulated BTC to and well past 5,000 and altcoins to fresh year-to-date highs, is, quote, the effective nail in the coffin for new lows. God, don't say that. It's like poking Bitcoin with a stick, and we all know what the hell happens when you poke Bitcoin with a stick. Stop it. In other words, put short and sweet by Kling, a retest is now highly unlikely. Stop it. Funnily enough, Kling's recent quip is drastically different to a comment he made in late January in which he stated that bears likely had much more damage to inflict on the broader industry before biting the dust. Per previous reports from NewsBTC, the popular investor opined that the end of the crypto winter was likely to be marked by an influx of shortcomings many of which would be detrimental on a majority of industry startups. Kling elaborated that if Bitcoin is to eventually move higher yet again, the industry needs more layoffs. Projects closing up shop, developer capitulation, projects liquidating their Ethereum, exchange collapses, stringent regulatory measures, and cries that crypto is dead. (laughs) Save for a few layoffs here and there, all this has yet come to fruition. But that doesn't mean that Kling's pseudo-prediction won't materialize in the real world. Even if BTC is bottomed, there's a fleeting t- chance that firms are likely still suffering, both financially and mentally, creating a chance that the underlying crypto industry could see more discourse. But exactly who knows at this point? Kling's reasoning is that new lows are improbable, has, interestingly enough, become a topic of discussion for much of the cryptocurrency market as of late, and traders, including those who base their investments on fundamentals, seem to be leaning bullish overall. In a tweet storm, industry researcher Willie Wu gave a topical overview of how Bitcoin's fundamentals are faring, utilizing an array of measures from himself and his peers. The models, which include fees, network value to transactions, among other factors, leaned bullish across the board. Balanced price from adaptive capitals, David Puell, for instance, resembled the signals action as the 2015-2016 bear market came to a close. 
Wu's very own cumulative value days destroyed indicator, which has historically caught bottoms, showed that Bitcoin recently broke out of an upper accumulation band following a strong convincing bounce off the lower band, and three key iterations of NVT have begun to converge looking much like they did at 2015's bottom. Classical technical indicators, too, are showing signs of life. Johnny Moe, a well-founded trader or well-followed trader in the crypto sector, recently revealed that Bitcoin has just seen its first 20-day and 200-day simple moving average cross since October 2015. While this signal isn't too popular, Johnny sees this cross as confirmation that BTC has broken out of long-term resistance, giving it the potential to move higher than here. The Twitter commentator added that the fabled golden cross, which pertains to the 50 MA and 200 MA, may soon come to life, barring that a drastic drop in Bitcoin price doesn't occur. We're always hoping for that. So that's going to do it for that. I, you know, I don't know. I'm not. I'm. I'm not a TA guy. I don't. I don't sit around and chart. I mean, I. I keep a trading view chart up at all times so that I can make myself sad and gleeful within 15 minutes of each other. You know, it's just, it's just the way I roll in either event. Um, that, uh, I don't know, kind of sounds good, but bears have this nasty habit of coming back and ripping your face off. Anyway, that's going to do it for your morning roundup. Vital statistics brought to you by BitInfoCharts.com. Bitcoin is at an average of 5,274 with a low at, oh my God, this is a really, this is a pretty tight band. It's hard to find it. I'm going to say right BTC at 5,227 all the way up to, and uh, let's see, to the, yeah, the, the 5,274. Transactions over the last 24 hours is 350,000, giving 15,000 transactions per hour. 1.4 million BTC have been sent in that last 24 hours, with 60,500 being sent on average per hour. The average transaction value is at 4.14 BTC and a median transaction value of 0.042 or about $222 US. Block times are a bit high at 10 minutes, 45 seconds. 0.82 BTC are being given in fees per block, and a total of 109 BTC have been taken in fees over the last 24 hours. We have had a mining or a, sorry, a hash rate decrease of 6.55% in the last 24 hours, but we are still right under 45 exahashes per second. That's nice. Uh, and yeah, as I, as I suspected, GitHub last commit to the Bitcoin code was done sometime this morning. Left to right, Ethereum is at 180, Litecoin is at 87, Bcash is at 300, BSV is at 80, Ethereum Classic is at 7. God dang, man. Dogecoin is at 0.003 and at 20, <laughs> at 22,000. Uh, transactions over the last 24 hours. Dogecoin is woefully inadequate to compare to the, get this people, 133,000 transactions on BSV alone. 41,860 on Bcash. Something's afoot, people. Whenever you see shit like this, that's when you should start kind of not, not being worried as much as just watching out. 
That's going to do it for Vital Statistics. All right, man. So uh, I'm going to throw down throw down a tune today. This tune is from is a a fan song that was created and released for uh, Bendy and the Ink Machine. If any of you gamers out there uh, know that reference, anyway, this song is really good. I dig this song, even though it's a fan song for a video game. But more importantly, I'm dropping the song in here because if you listen to the lyrics. It talks about a creator up and leaving and the mess it left behind. There's a jewel actor who's gone back home to play But to your dismay, this isn't your day For the happy fun time has begun to fade Watch as we reanimate our corpses You abandoned or dismantled or mishandled But we won't be skipped and swayed Trapped within these walls You left our souls to drip away The ink decayed, the walls of bay But a reckoning has come today, you say Boris has no guns cause you replace it with mechanical strain We've been tortured, but we move forward This disorder kills your day Initiate the pain Our venom stains Our knife remains But the ending's always just the same No gain Nod your head to the beat of death As you draw your last eternal breath Sensations of an invasion Start the course right through your veins You say we have no brains We're just cartoons for your portrayal To tell some tale by a potent sail But sure this inevitably unveils the frail Splashes of eternal hate Will flood the floor and clean your slate Now we're the tools and you're the fool Our nightmare dominates
machine you die tonight. Marty's bit is for Tuesday, April the 9th, 2019. This is issue number 458, Brendan's Threads. Brendan Burns, he's, uh, oh, sorry, Marty starts out with a, 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 a string of four tweets from Brendan Bernstein. He says, early stage crypto has become completely incestuous. This is the C-E-L-R-I-C-O page. <clears throat> $30 million spread out over 48 firms, at least five other ICOs investing. Those same VCs invested in those ICOs too. This does two things. One, valuations are of SAFTS overinflated compared to liquid tokens. Most funds don't have the sophistication to manage a long, short liquid book and are more comfortable with VC-like deals. ICOs also need somewhere to put their money they raise, and the easiest thing to do is buy more. This creates, two, this creates massive implied leverage. <clears throat> Example, $10 million invested in QTUM for 10% creates $100 million in market cap. <clears throat> Same $10 million is then invested in CELR for 10%, creating another $100 million. Initial $10 million creates many multiples of its value as it's passed around like a baton. Crypto is very fragile. Check, it, check this out. One, crypto fund invests $10 million into Project YY for 10% of tokens. This creates $100 million MCAP and $90 million of YY tokens held in reserve. Two, Project YY has plenty of tokens, so it doesn't need all $10 million. They invest that $10 million back into the fund. Voila, $100 million of Phantom MCAP. Woo, doggy. No better feeling than starting out your morning with a fresh dose of Brendan's fiery threads. This time around, our boy Brendan takes a shallow dive into the incestuous world of ICO investing and the faulty valuations that are able to surface in an asset class dominated by a group of people who could all fit comfortably in the shared studio space of my apartment building. Funds investing in token projects with which print value out of thin air and take that money invested in other token projects which print value out of thin air with these with the funds that invested in the first token project are also taking part in a lot of cases. In Brendan's as Brendan points out, this overinflates the actual value of these networks by orders of magnitude, leaving the overall state of the ICO and VC at least those that are token focused landscape writhing crypto, extremely fragile. This makes me wonder if some of of the thought leaders out there standing on stages at conferences, pushing these pipe dreams on unwitting masses have a deep existential fear hiding behind the veneer of their smiles and promises of a utopian future. This does not seem sustainable nor healthy for a budding industry, though it wouldn't surprise me if this charade lasts for a while, especially if we enter another bull market at some point in the near to medium term. So in the <clears throat> so so is the nature of open source technology that allows people to easily spin up quote unquote value behind a lofty idea. The Scambrian explosion that has followed in Bitcoin's wake is part of the double-edged sword that comes with this space. It has some of the best minds working hard to build out a system that could give an immeasurable amount of power and freedom back to the individual, but it also comes with nauseating opportunism disguised as innovation. With that being said, I certainly do not think everyone participating in some of these projects are nefarious, just misguided. Final thought, we need more modern funk bands. Dude, you like funk? 
Oh, 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 hell yeah, man. Can never have too much funk. I have just discovered that Marty is a fan of the funk. I think in honor of that, a Friday show, I'm going to have to throw in some, uh, I don't know, Bootsy Collins. I think Bootsy Collins is definitely, definitely a go for Friday. How about a double dose of Daily Trainwrecked? Let's start with the uh, the one that I actually think is the better train wrecked. And this is the gentleman that I was talking about earlier in this show who has become the daily train wreck. This is Crypto Tim. A-U-S Crypto Tim. Because lightning is too complicated and Bitcoin will never scale. Truth hurts. EOS is fast and free and is developing at a breakneck pace. An announcement with the White House is expected on June 1st. June is coming. Have you ever heard of so much intense bullshit right there? An announcement with the White House is expected on June for an announcement with the White House for a shit show that is EOS that has almost no development happening on it and certainly none at a breakneck pace. It's just amazing how either these people are willfully deceptive or that ignorant. It's just beyond the capacity for me to measure. Okay, second train wreck of the day from our friend, our, our, our favorite guy that likes to dance with braces wearing girls in Brazil while feeding them alcohol, Calvin Air. He has a picture of him and Craig Wright standing with a room full of lawyers. And Calvin says, Craig and I are polishing our muskets at today's troll hunting meeting in London. You know, it's not even worth the, it's not even worth the sound effect. So I'm not even going to drop it in there because it's just too much editing for this kind of BS. I, is he a lawyer? Is, is he a coder? Is he a mathematician? This is indicative of, of a real dangerous kind of person. Now I know I'm giving him a little bit more credit than he should, but this kind of, this kind of action just causes rectage all over the place. And quite frankly, I hope this ends up being the nail in his own coffin I hope countersuits come out because I I don't think the man knows how libel laws work. And if he especially if he starts going after people in the United States, the amount of money he's going to incur when none of his lawsuits are able to like compel any of any of us who's called him a fraud to give him sent one, we're going to end up countersuing. I mean, actually, actually, to tell you the truth, I don't think I'm going to counter Sue because I don't think I'd ever actually see any of the money out of Craig Wright either either way. And this is indicative of just how hard international lawsuits are. It is a it is a mess. It's bad enough for, you know, one for super conglomerates to sue other super conglomerates. It's got to be just an impossibility to get down to the civil level 
in from one country to another country as to whose rights are being viol- violated and who has court standing. Fuck this guy. Fuck this guy. Fuck him and Calvin Ayer, that piece of shit. Torchlight. Uh, Jonah Richmond says she has the LN trust chain torch. It is a massive honor to be one of the bearers. Just three more passes before, or three more passes to go before we pass it on to at BTC Vin. Thank you so much for BTC Sessions for trusting it in my hands. Tell me why you want it in your country and invoice me 4.26 million uh, mega Satoshis. And then. Uh, it looks like Maddie Greenspan, who is a senior market analyst for eToro, has taken the torch from Jonah. So he says, I have the torch. Thank you so much, Jonah Richmond. It's an honor, uh, or a true honor to be a link in this chain. Suggestions of who to pass it to. And then on up, we have uh, Bass underscore zero two. He said, Mr. Bass Peters says, welcome aboard, Maddie. After you, there's only two spots left. God, this is freaking exciting. I think it would be awesome to give the last one towards Hodolonaut to complete the circle and push it off toward BTC Vin. Pick wisely and make it a great one. I agree with Bass. I think it would be totally, totally appropriate and completely close the circle if the last stop on the chain was to huddle or not. The guy who started the whole thing in the first place. That's what I'm voting for, but you guys make your own decisions. Um, Bass also said, wants to remind us that he is working on the final version of TakeTheTorch.online. Now we are closing in on the last two bears. Got anything left you'd like to see on there? DM me if you've got something. When it's done, it's done, and it'll go into the web archives as is. So get a hold of BAS underscore zero two if you uh, have anything to add. Terrible Joke Corner's got a twofer today, man. Uh, lots of twofers today. Uh, there was just two of them, and one of them was from the community, and I thought it was just too good to pass up. First one is from our racist Bad Joke Cat. What do you call a big Irish spider? Patty Longlegs. That's racist. And Crypto Polly, or uh, also known as Crypto Raptor, says Brits are perfect for crypto. They're used to shillings. <laughs> That's pretty good. I like it. Credit to uh, at Herminghouse for making the shilling link. Uh, I love it when I, when I get bad jokes from the community. It wasn't sent directly to me, but I picked it up on my feed. I'm like, That's a bad joke. Had to go into ba- uh, Terrible Joke Corner. I'm out. Uh, People. Uh, So Craig Wright is on the prowl again. Uh, Be careful of him Um, or not be careful. Just be, be aware where you don't want to step in the poo left behind by that freaking animal. 
Um, also, because of that, I've seen, I've seen a whole lot of people engaging in vaccine conversations on Twitter. I got into one myself with a guy who I literally had to just mute because I just couldn't ha- handle his bullshit anymore. And w- I may very well do a whole, like a piece of this, the, this, and I'm not talking about the science of vaccines. Don't get me wrong. Okay. I'm not an anti-vaxxer, but I'm not a complete willfully led idiot that everything that can possibly, uh, that, you know, can possibly be given us under the sun is 100% safe. Okay. There's, there's gray area in there. And I had not even engaged with this guy, this guy engaged with a tweet that I put out and freaking started making all manner of assumptions that I didn't know science. Sorry, I do. I was trained as a scientist. So F off. Um, and that my kids were unvaccinated. And then when I pointed it out, he said that he said no such thing made all man. I mean, he's just making all kinds of these presumptions and blasting it out. I was going to engage in a civil discourse with this guy to let him know what I was talking about. But this morning I woke up and the first thing out of his ass was trumpet blaring bullshit. So I just muted him because it's just not worth my time, but it does bring up a good point. There's a lot of this talk going on because of the Jewish community and some other like more privatized communities uh, and religious-based communities in New York that have a measles outbreak going on. And apparently yesterday, New York called on like a, a like a state of emergency or something. So there's all manner of vaccination talk going on. My advice, if you can, if, if you, unless you just want to fight, don't engage in any of that shit. Literally, because the tensions in the world are so high about so many things that anything can be a touch point and get you sucked in to hours and hours and hours of of bleeding your life out that you will never get back over something that will probably never matter anyway. Be careful out there, folks, and I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and... And I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.